Uh, If you've got your Bibles open, perhaps you'd like to keep them open at Luke chapter 9. We're going to be spending most of our time today in Luke's uh, Gospel. And uh, I've given this a a title, actually, Jesus' Journey in Luke. And I think it's important um, that when we read the Gospels, we remember that every Gospel, although it tells the same basic message, every Gospel is different. And they have a different slant and a different purpose. And and that's what we're going to look at today. Now, it's approaching Holy Week. Uh, Next Sunday, uh, Mike will be speaking to us on on Palm Sunday. And then we're into Holy Week uh, leading up to the events of Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and uh, Easter Day, as we've already mentioned. And, of course, at the centre of that is the cross. Now, Luke's Gospel is different to the other Gospels in that very deliberately, Luke sets out to point out that we are, Jesus was on a journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. Now, if we can have the, the map, we've got another map today, we've had two maps today, so um, if you can give me the PowerPoint, please, Steve, and then hopefully, this week, with my little magic thing, um, there we are, there's a map of the Holy Land with the, the Sea of Galilee at the top and the Dead Sea at the bottom. So in Luke's Gospel, this particular reading begins actually earlier in the chapter at Caesarea Philippi, which we'll come back to in just a moment. Um, Jesus spent most of his ministry uh, in Luke's Gospel, all of his ministry, in Galilee, in the north. So Jesus was a northerner. He probably would have spoken Hebrew with an accent like that. Um, Anyway, he was a northerner, and all of his ministry is there, and then... Uh, when he starts to come to this final week, which is all in this chapter, he moves first of all to Samaria, and then he moves further down to Judea, and then finally his destination is Jerusalem. So he's, he's travelling south through the Gospel, and that's, that's really what we are looking at today. Um, now, when we think about Jesus in Luke, of course Luke starts with the wonderful birth narratives, the stories of the shepherds, and of course all that took round around took place around Bethlehem, and which is down in Judea, uh, around Jerusalem. So the gospel starts there, but once Jesus starts his ministry in chapter 4, it all moves up to Galilee, Nazareth, Cana, and, and all that kind of area in the north. And uh, unlike uh, John's gospel, where Jesus comes to Jerusalem several times in his ministry, in Luke, uh, Luke waits to the very last the end of his journey, to, to, to talk about what happened as he comes uh, down south. Um, and interestingly, uh, the resurrection appearances in Luke are all in Jerusalem area. So there's a very different way of telling. Now this is my way of actually looking at Luke's Gospel. Uh, Luke's Gospel says that Jesus is on a journey, a cross-shaped journey, that starts in Galilee, moves to Samaria, moves to Judea, heads for Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem, this is what he's focusing on. He, he is travelling towards the cross. So when we've got that in mind, let's have a look at some of the Bible verses that perhaps uh, are leading us in that chapter. If you've got your Bibles open at Luke chapter 9, just go back to a few verses before where John began to read, uh, to verse 18, and you'll see um, this is the famous passage that's in uh, three Gospels about the declaration, Peter's confession of Christ. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter blurts out, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Now, Luke doesn't tell us, but the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, tell us that this took place near Caesarea Philippi, right up in, in the north, on the, a kind of a, a Roman town. And so in the shadow of this great Roman settlement, uh, the declaration that Jesus is the Christ and Lord uh, actually is a very significant statement. So Peter blurts out, uh, you are the Christ. Peter's eyes have been opened. His eureka moment has come. And they realize who Jesus is. And from this point on, Jesus' narrative, Jesus' words change. Straight after that confession, Jesus says, actually, the Christ has got to suffer and die and be nailed to a cross and then will rise again. We've come to the watershed of the gospel. Uh, The watershed is now downhill, it's south, all the way now to Jerusalem, and not for glory, but for the cross. And and we'll see here that the the disciples just don't get it. Because have a look what happens after this confession. uh, Peter and, uh, and, and James and John go up a mountain, and they have this incredible mountaintop experience where Moses and Elijah, and, and they just don't know how to react to it. Peter says, let's build some statues. Let's, let's, let's kind of immortalize this in stone. Uh, and, and God speaks to him and says, just, just do what Jesus says. You know. um, and then um, when they come down off the mountain, the people in the crowds are complaining about the disciples because they, they can't cast out the spirit and 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 jesus says you you've got so little faith and with just a word uh, jesus cast out the spirit and then the very next section what are the disciples doing tell me arguing about who is the greatest they hadn't got it at all had they here is jesus who is the king of kings and the lord of lords setting out for jerusalem where he will die on a cross, and the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. How typical of humanity. And so we come to the key verse today, which uh, I want to focus on the whole of this sermon. I don't often have a text for a sermon, but, but I do today. This is Luke 9, 51. is unique to Luke. No other gospel has this verse. And it says in verse 51, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You see, this is the watershed verse in the Gospel. At this point, Jesus sets his eyes on Jerusalem. He knows where he is headed. Now, the King James Version has a a different uh, rendering of this. Do you know what it says? Set his face. That's it, Glyn. That's right. He set his face on Jerusalem. Um, now, I, I wanted to add in, he set his face like flint. But actually, that verse also appears in the Bible. It appears in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. In the, the, the penultimate servant song, you know, the last servant song is he was uh, uh, led like a lamb to the slaughter. But the one before that, in Isaiah 50, uh, he set his face like flint. It's talking about Jesus. So I kind of almost want to add those to the gospel, uh, but, I, but I won't because you know, it isn't there. He set his face like flint. And do you know uh, what image comes to me? Usain Bolt. If you've seen that long telephoto shot right down the 100 metres straight with Usain Bolt waiting for the gun to go off, his, 
He is absolutely fixated on that finishing line. He, he couldn't care if a nuclear bomb had gone off next door. He is focused on that finishing line. And as soon as the gun goes, off he goes. And uh, he's going to get across that line first. That's the kind of image. Jesus has fixed his face, set his fate, like Flint, on the finishing tape. But the finishing tape is not glory and a wreath of victory. Uh, it is the cross. Now that just cuts across all of our human instinct, doesn't it? That actually uh, anyone should aim to die. But Jesus knew that was his calling, that was his mission, that was his goal, to achieve what God had called him for. Okay, so straight after this verse, where he sets his face upon Jerusalem, and interestingly on that verse, I will just comment, in the NIV it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, well, I have to tell you that the, in the translators of the uh, NIV have added the words to heaven. Because it actually says, as the time came, approached for him to be taken up. Now, that's an interesting word, because taken up can mean more than one thing. There's a double, it's a, it's a dual meaning. Uh, obviously, he is going to be exalted to heaven one day, but actually he's going to be taken up onto a cross. And sometimes when the translators put the extra words in to try to make sense of it, they, they lose some of the potential meaning. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up, he resolutely set out, he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. So, let's have a look at the next verse. What happens immediately afterwards? He sends his disciples as messengers ahead of him to read, a Samaritan village. So as soon as he sets out for Jerusalem, he goes to Samaria. Now, no self-respecting Jew would have gone through Samaria because, uh, you know, Jews hated the Samaritans. And uh, as, you know, John tells us that lovely story of the woman uh, by the well. But Jesus sets out for Samaria. They would have gone a long way round to avoid Samaria. They'd have even crossed over the Jordan in order to avoid that area. But Jesus sets out for Samaria. And notice, they're not welcomed. The messengers are not welcomed, and the reason is because Jesus is heading for Jerusalem. Now, the Samaritans held that uh, a different place was their place of worship. You know the argument between where you worship? But, of course, for Jews, Jerusalem is the place of worship. So, he sets out and he heads through Samaria. Now, the next verse, we're going to hop ahead slightly here, uh, and I'm not going to steal any of Mike's punder, because, but this verse, like Luke 19, uh, if you were to look it up, you would find this is where he arrives in Jericho. And Jericho is the gateway to Judea. So in order to get from Samaria to uh, Judea, the promised land, you have to go through this stronghold of Jericho, because we all know the story about Joshua and the walls of Jericho. And as he comes, there's the lovely story of Zacchaeus, who's waiting, and, and he, he ministers to Zacchaeus up his tree, and then begins the final part of his journey, the ride uh, on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem. And, and that's where the story comes to next week, and I'm not going to say any more about that, but it's part of his journey, and he, he arrives in Jerusalem, 
and, uh, and then we have all of the, 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 the major part of the gospel story, what happened in that last week of Jesus' life. And notice that in, uh, in Luke, all of the activity, including the resurrection appearances, appear near Jerusalem. Luke doesn't tell us about him meeting the, 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 the disciples by the Lake of Galilee. Not to say it didn't happen, uh, but to say that Luke wants to say that the resurrection happened in Jerusalem. And then there's another part of the story. Because Luke, uh, if, if Luke was a film, uh, then we would have Luke 2, the sequel, you know, like we have Jaws 1 and Jaws 2. Luke wrote two books. And we're ever so grateful to Luke because he, he gives us the rest of the story. Because in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, then uh, we hear that actually um, when they meet together before the day of Pentecost, Jesus appears, uh, they, they, Jesus has spoken to them at the ascension, and he says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power on high, and then you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. So can you see this pattern uh, that Luke is trying to tell us this story, starting in Galilee, heading towards Jerusalem, all the action in Jerusalem, and from there, outwards to the ends of the world. That's, that's where we're going. And um, in Acts chapter 8, we hear about one of the disciples, Philip, uh, and um, Philip was having a fantastic ministry in Samaria. Jesus was, uh, Jesus' disciples were unable to have any progress um, Jesus' disciples were not welcomed in Samaria. But by the time the Holy Spirit had come, uh, then Samaria becomes a very fruitful uh, place for the gospel. Yeah, well maybe, just maybe, that woman at the well had gone back and told everyone in Samaria. You know? So they were ready for him. So when Philip came, he was having a fantastic ministry. And then you'll know, as we talked about last Easter when Bevan was baptised, Philip is called away from Samaria to the desert and he meets the Ethiopian. And of course we know what happens when he went back to Ethiopia. He took the gospel to Africa, to the ends of the world. Uh, And so the gospel is going in the direction that Luke uh, says it will do here. Um, And then in Acts chapter 11, Peter is given that vision about the net coming down, about the gospel is for everybody, not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. And uh, then, of course, Acts ends, uh, but Paul has already kind of made inroads into Europe and the gospel now, of course, is now heading towards the the ends of the world. Uh, So that basically is um, the picture in in Acts. Now... um, Jesus, uh, oh, and and of course it does tell us there uh, after that vision that Paul and his disciples go to Antioch and then they travel to Cyprus and then they travel to Cyrene and and the gospel goes to all the Greek-speaking world. So effectively the ends of the world as as were known at that time uh, were, were reached by the gospel. So looking at that picture, Jesus had a mission. Jesus knew that his mission was to bring good news to the whole world. That actually is the calling of the Jews. That the covenant with Abraham was that actually many nations will be blessed. 
Um, it was never meant to be a religion for one particular ethnic group. It was always meant to be to bless the whole world. And you can see now how Jesus fulfilled that, uh, that purpose. He had a mission. But Satan didn't like it. Satan wanted to divert him. And uh, um, in, 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 in the story of the temptations at the beginning of Luke, you will see that actually Satan tried to trick him, say, well, you, why don't you use your power to change bread, into, stones into bread? Jesus had the answer to him. Um, and here's another difference between Luke and, and Matthew. In, in, in Matthew's gospel, the temptations are bread, to, to stones to bread, and then uh, the temple, and then the whole world. In Luke's gospel, you have a look. Stones to bread, and then the whole world, and then the temple. You can jump off the temple. So Luke puts some, because Luke's journey says, actually, Jesus is headed for Jerusalem. This is where it's going to happen. And I did a school assembly the other day in Hambridge, and I was saying about showing this little picture of the devil tempting Jesus to jump off. And what he was saying is, Jesus, become Superman. If you jump off and fly down, everyone will say, wow, you're amazing. But Jesus said, no, that isn't my calling to be Superman. My calling is to go to the cross. And, and so it's in Jerusalem that actually uh, that is focused. But the devil tried to di- divert him. Even in, the, even in the, the garden of Gethsemane, the devil is still having a go at him to try to make him change his mind. Uh, his disciples tried to dissuade him. Now, his disciples should have been the people that encouraged him in his mission. But no, when Peter was told, uh, Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross, Peter says, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. So his closest friends didn't get it. But Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. There's the text. Jesus resolutely set out. He set his face on Jerusalem. But he also says this in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Take up your cross is not something you do once in your life. He says, take it up daily and follow me. However, his disciples didn't get it, did they? James and John, the Samaritan villagers, reject Jesus. Lord, call down fire upon them. Burn them up. Does that sound like the ministry of Jesus? It sounds more like the power religion, which we sometimes get uh, exercised in the world today. It doesn't seem like the servant mission ministry of Jesus. Not even going to break a broken reed. Uh, It's not Jesus' way. James and John, the sons of thunder, very appropriately named. Burn them up, Lord, you know. It wasn't Jesus' way. And then look at the last section from verse 57 on. This is talking not about the disciples now, but about other people. The cost of following Jesus. One man said, I'll follow you, Jesus. 
And Jesus says, well, actually, if you follow me, you'll have nowhere to sleep. You'll have no money. Um, you know, you're probably going to be crucified like me. Um, and people turn away because the cost of following Jesus is too great. And then he says something very hard. You know, um, he said to a man, follow me. But the man said, please let me bury my father. Seems a reasonable request, doesn't it? Jesus says, actually, let the dead bury their dead. Uh, and I'm sure Jesus is not, not lacking in compassion. But what he's saying is, actually, following me means putting me first. And that's a very hard thing to do. Jesus did not... He, he put other people first. He put his mission before his own personal safety. And then, please let me go and say goodbye to my family. Well, that seems fairly reasonable as well. But what he's saying is, anyone who, who looks back all the time is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. We must look forward. Jesus' eyes are set on Jerusalem. And he says, if you follow me, you must also be focused on the cross. Excuses, excuses and diversions. That's what the journey's like. Now, that's Jesus' journey. Uh, on Tuesday, we had um, the... Uh, Oddmonts Theatre Company came and presented to us the story of Pilgrim's Progress. And actually, can you see the parallel between that story and this? Here is, um, if you didn't manage to get to see it, there's a few pictures here. This is uh, uh, Christian uh, there with the burden on his back. And there is Evangelist. And Evangelist is pointing out the way to, to Christian to say, actually, you must go to the cross and you must keep on that path fixing your eyes on the celestial city. That's what you're doing. Simple instructions. Uh, but as, uh, as Christian goes on his journey, various friends try to join him. And on this occasion, he is being joined by uh, obstinate and pliable. Obstinate tries to put him off and says, that's stupid, you know, don't, don't do that, go, go another way. And Pliable says, um, um, yeah, starts mocking him, but then Pliable, who is very two-minded, says, well, actually, I, I think I'm going to go with him. And so Pliable follows Christian on his journey until the first difficulty, then Pliable changes his mind and departs. So, you know, the people that, are, that follow you on your journey are important. The people that you choose to surround yourself with are going to be important because they will influence you. Now, please do not hear me saying, don't associate with people who are not Christians. I mean, there's too many people who don't have any friends who are not Christians. That is not what this is saying. But who makes decisions about your life should be following Jesus. Yeah? Okay, so people that encourage you are, are to be encouraged. Good. And then, as he goes on his journey, he meets Mr. Worldly Wives who says, oh, the cross, that's a stupid idea. Why don't you go a much better way? I can show you a better way to go. But you know, Jesus says actually that the path is narrow that leads to life, and the, and the broader path leads to destruction. But Mr. Worldly Wise, with all his clever wisdom, uh, will come and try to divert you uh, off the true way onto a different way. Christian, thankfully, continues to head for the cross. And here we have uh, Jesus appearing. And there's the burden. The burden has come off his back because it's only through the cross of Jesus that our sins can be forgiven. And there he is saying, I'm free. The burden has gone. And as he goes along, other people try to, uh, try to 
give him advice. And this couple are actually timorous and mistrust. And what they, they, they're coming to say, well, actually, he's trying to get the house beautiful, but actually they're saying, at the gateway are these two enormous lions, and they will eat you. And, um, but, the, but, but he knows, actually, he's been told, the lions are chained. And as long as you walk on the narrow path between you, they can't eat you. But timorous and mistrust have turned back from the journey because it looks too dangerous and too scary. But Pilgrim Christian carries on. Thankfully, he meets some good people on the way. He meets Charity. Charity, uh, who is the one who encourages him, gives him care and, and good advice on his journey. And, uh, and in fact, it's Charity here that's, that says, what you need is the armour for the journey. So here he says, pick up your sword uh, and have the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, which we need to go on this journey to follow Jesus. And it says, well, we do, because there are enemies. And this is Apollyon, the enemy of God. Uh, and uh, thankfully, Christian has his sword and his armour and is able to defeat the enemy, Apollyon. Now, on the journey, we meet the people who are fickle, but actually, this is faithful. And sometime on the journey, Christian meets faithful, who has also faced different difficulties, and yet is still on the journey. He has his eyes fixed on that celestial city. He knows where he's going. He encourages him. Notice all the armour on there. But even with faithful, uh, there are other distractions. This is Vanity Fair. And my goodness, if our world here is not Vanity Fair, I don't know what isn't. All of the attractions that surround us, the, uh, the, 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 the pursuits we can spend our time on, wine, women's song and, and, and whatever, uh, all around us, we must keep our eyes on the celestial city. Thankfully, faithful and Christian do that. And on their journey, he also meets hopeful. Sometimes we lose hope, do we not? Hope is being certain of what we do not see. Yeah? He can't actually materialise the city, but we don't see it yet, but we know it's there. Therefore, we have hope and faith. So, hopeful helps him along the journey, and finally, he reaches the celestial city. That's, that's the, the journey that is actually all of us are on. And I just wonder, you know, how the distractions and the side paths are affecting us. We must, be like Jesus, keep our eyes fixed, set on the path that we are called. And I'm going to leave you with just some words from the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it says, chapter 12, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus fixed his eyes on Jerusalem. We fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And just a few verses from chapter 10. 
Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why do we meet on Sunday? I hope so that we can spur one another on. If we were Christ- if Christians were meant to be individuals and we all sat in our little prayer place and did our own thing and didn't meet with other people, how would we be encouraged? How would we how will we know whether we're on the right path? Except that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and encourage one another to do so.